Vladimir Zelensky, president of Ukraine, has banned essentially all opposition parties, what he is calling and what Ukraine's government is calling the pro-Russia parties in Ukraine. They happen to be all left-wing parties for the most part, one of which has about a 10% of the parliament, parliamentary seats, for whatever that is worth in Ukraine. And this was an unprecedented move, and it came alongside a consolidation of Ukraine's state media. So I always like to think of what would happen if China decided to consolidate, let's say, CGTN, Global Times, and all its other organs into one. That's essentially what Ukraine did, and it's doing it on the justification that it needs to promote the correct kind of information about the war. And this is so ironic, too, because this ban of opposition parties comes as we've had a whole host of propaganda, a whole host of information that I've shown you right here on this channel, right? This heroism that has been imbued upon and endowed upon Vladimir Zelensky, all of these fake images. There has been no refutation of that. I don't know if you all saw the green screen debacle where... Uh, Vladimir Zelensky was definitely standing in front of a green screen while he was supposedly standing in the streets of Ukraine, completely empty streets, and the lighting was all off, and it was uh, mainly focused on him at the dead of night. So, and you could just see the backdrop, right? A, a typical green screen black drop, backdrop. So this is ironic that he is suppressing all these opposition parties on the basis that these so-called Russia, uh, pro-Russia parties are the one, are the ones who are spreading the misinformation when we have gotten just misinformation, a misinformation bonanza from the Ukraine side and those who support Ukraine. So this is part in parcel, right? This is an escalation of a policy that somebody in the chat has already has already mentioned is that this isn't new in Ukraine. This stems back to the 2014 coup where directly afterwards these far-right forces, these puppets of the United States and NATO began a policy of what they call decommunization. So the Euromaidan protesters were far-right political ideologues, and they wanted at the base of their agenda to not only oppose and reject everything Russian, right, at the behest of NATO and the United States, but even deeper than that, right, when you have so many elements of fascism inside of Ukraine's political apparatus, that means you also have a deeply anti-communist government, which, as is the case and as has always been the case with fascism, the principal goal is to eradicate communism. It's to eradicate the communist alternative, anyone who espouses the communist alternative. It is put into place. Fascism is generally put into place within a capitalist system when there is a need to suppress dissent by any means necessary, not just the subtle and covert means, not just the alienation, not just the general repression of day-to-day -day capitalist life and how that affects protests and labor unrest, etc., 
but to literally erase and eliminate the opposition because of the threat of socialism, the threat of communism. And so this decommunization has been happening in Ukraine since 2015, when it was announced as a policy under Petro uh, Poroshenko, the former president of Ukraine. And then uh, there was a Lenin statue taken down in Kiev. We're going to get into all of this. Okay, so continue to like the stream, continue to share the stream, continue to subscribe to the channel if you have not yet, hit the notifications bell, and of course, subscribe to Patreon at patreon.com slash Danny Haifong to support this channel at whatever amount you are able. So with that said, I'm just going to put up a small article on this topic. Okay, so it's from The Week, which is generally a conservative outlet. And it says, Zelensky nationalizes TV news and restricts opposition parties. So The Week is kind of a tabloid out in uh, the UK, The uh, I believe it is. Uh, let me actually, let me, uh, let me confirm that because The Week actually... So it was it was founded in the UK. It actually came after, ironically, well, not ironically. I need to stop using that word. I hate the word ironically. I'm going to purge that from my language. So let me just restate that this outlet actually attacked me and attacked uh, those in a group that I was once much more involved with, No Cold War, because we held, and it was mainly my efforts, we held the event on no cold, on opposing the Cold War and its relationship to racism. And we had David West, we had Jing Jing Lee, we had a really good panel. We had uh, Diane Abbott from the United Kingdom, an MP out there, Black MP. And she, because of her presence and her acceptance at this event, there was a backlash, an extreme backlash against us. And they named me as a genocide a denier. And uh, she was attacked, Diane Abbott, and it was uh, really, really unfortunate. So The Week is a conservative outlet, but they here are saying that Zelensky nationalizes TV news and restricts opposition parties. On Saturday and Sunday, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky invoked his emergency powers under martial law. So there's martial law in Ukraine right now, and I guess... Uh, some might say that that's justified given that there is a war. But as you know, with martial law, war is always a justification for it to suppress several opposition political parties and implement a unified information policy. In an address to the nation delivered Sunday, he announced a temporary ban on any activity by 11 political parties. So this isn't even just, so this is any activity. This is just being active. This is just being affiliated in with a member of a party. So essentially you're not allowed to do anything if you're part of these 11 opposition parties, many of whom are socialist and left wing. So the ban includes the opposition platform for Life Party, which holds 43 seats in Ukraine's national parliament and is the largest opposition party. Opposition platform for Life is a pro-Russia party, but on March 8th, the party leader, Yuri Bokyo, demanded that Russia, quote, stop aggression against Ukraine, end quote, according to the Ukrainian outlet LB. That same day, Viktor Medvedchuk, 
who was accused of treason against Ukraine in May and escaped from house arrest shortly after the invasion began, was removed from his party, his post as the party's co-chair. And then they said that he's his, uh, Vladimir Putin, his godfather to his daughter. Okay, who cares? Zelensky's information policy involves combining all national TV channels, the program content of which consists mainly of information and or information analytical programs into a single information platform of strategic communication to be called United News. Reuters notes that until Sunday, Saturday, privately owned Ukrainian media outlets continue to operate independently. Zelensky said the measure was necessary to combat Russian misinformation and tell the truth about the war. Okay. So Zelensky seems to be interested in telling the truth about the war, yet has essentially rode this wave of lies about his own legacy. And now he's instituting policies which are incredibly fascistic, yet we're supposed to believe that he is interested in the truth about the war and he is for peace. And this is what these, you know, former U.S. ambassador uh, to Russia, Michael McFaul, and these clowns in the establishment continue to promote is this idea that Zelensky is some kind of hero. They're still trying to do this, despite all indications that Zelensky is overseeing a fascist concentration of the political situation in Ukraine. That his rule, right, because it is threatened by this Russian intervention by this Russian military operation. It is threatened, right? And I said it uh, in many instances. I've said it on here, right? I've I've said that the longer that this goes on and the more and more it looks like Ukraine's government is going to have to cave, right, under the pressure of Russia's military operation, this only spells doom for Vladimir Zelensky's political rule and how he has attempted to exploit his mandate to demilitarize the situation in a manner that has only revealed him to be a puppet of the U.S. and NATO. And what is so striking about this ban on opposition parties is that it's only against pro-Russia parties. So he's not looking to consolidate the situation to tell the truth about the war on Ukraine, because if that were the case, he wouldn't just be targeting pro-Russia parties, but he would be targeting also those elements within Ukraine society, which have as their base ideology, not just misinformation, but racism and dehumanization. And who are these parties? Oh, those are the Nazi parties, the Nazi organizations that reside in Ukraine, many of whom are embedded in Ukraine's military apparatus. So the Azov Regiment, for example, formerly the Azov Battalion, wasn't banned, right? They continue to serve in Ukraine's military and wage campaigns of terror like they are doing in, in Mariupol and other areas of Ukraine's eastern side. So, I mean, what does this tell us? Right? What does it say about Ukraine's government and its leadership when it is willing to target generally and only left-wing parties while giving cover and exploiting and collaborating with literal fascists? That tells us that this government is not just a puppet of the U.S. and NATO, but it is a dangerous puppet of the United States and NATO. It is a puppet 
that is hostile, that is offensive, that has at its core an anti-Russia, on a race basis, an anti-Russia campaign and strategy that it hopes to enact if and should it win this so-called war. Now, that's not going to happen, right? Ukraine does not have the capacity to win any war unless the United States and NATO directly intervene and spark World War III. And even then, it would probably be just a disaster for humanity. It wouldn't work out in the way that Ukraine wants it. So Ukraine and Vladimir Zelensky are pulling out all the cars to try to consolidate the rule of the coup regime as it gets more and more obvious that the only way for this to end is a peaceful resolution that takes the concerns of Russia into account and where both sides mutually agree upon uh, peace and measures that ultimately address some of the bigger issues that both Russia and Ukraine have with each other. And there were some reports over this same period this past weekend that, and it came from Turkey, because Turkey is helping broker these peace talks as well, that there could be a peace deal on the way that is close to an agreement. Now, it's hard to say how realistic that is, because it seems like every time there's progress made in these nearly weekly talks, it seems that Vladimir Zelensky does something, you, the U.S. does something that undermines the capacity and ability for peace. So we shall see. But nonetheless, Ukraine has just become a far more repressive place, a very unsafe place for anyone on the political left. And it is a really dangerous and unprecedented move to consolidate political power like this, even in so-called war times, especially given the fact that this war could be ended in a much more simple manner. How? Well, Ukraine could just reject NATO membership and could also demilitarize and recognize the Eastern Republics as independent states. And all of this would stop. Right? And it could follow the Minsk Accords, enact a ceasefire in East Ukraine, pull back its troops and its so-called paramilitaries and these fascist forces, and allow Eastern Ukraine to develop and have its self-determination. Something that, while controversial to some, actually is really the only possible solution here, given that it is not Ukraine, right? It's not the Ukraine government that is opposing the splitting of the country, right? Ukraine's military assault on Donetsk, Lugansk, on Donbass is literally a strategy to split the country. So the only solution then, if the people of Donbass want not to be a part of Ukraine anymore, if they want independence, and Ukraine is literally engaging in a civil war, which effectively splits the country, then the only solution is independence for these republics, a ceasefire, a peaceful resolution, one that has at its core the promise that Ukraine won't join NATO and that it will stop and begin to eliminate all of its uh, weapons systems and all of the lethal quote-unquote military aid that it has received from the United States and NATO. 
And honestly, this is going to be a policy that I think Russia demands from countries all across its former Soviet republics and along its border as the U.S. and NATO become more and more aggressive in their policy. So this is really just act one of a larger problem that is going to see more and more conflict play out, more and more conflict develop. And we really do have the United States and its NATO alliance to blame. That's why we say abolish NATO, abolish NATO, abolish NATO. With that said, I want to show you how this has a basis in history, this consolidation of political power in Ukraine, right? This basis in the coup. So right after the coup in Ukraine, even Amnesty International, which carried water for the U.S. NATO invasion and war on Libya, on Syria, which uh, honestly did not oppose Euromaidan and has not really opposed any of the U.S.'s wars, but even they reported on Ukraine, the Communist Party banned offers a decisive blow for freedom of speech in the country. So this was December 17, 2015, not too long after the Euromaidan coup, about, uh, I believe that happened early in 20, uh, late in 2014. So uh, this is not too far from then, but decommunization started. Right. And so they said banning the Communist Party in Ukraine is a flagrant violation of freedom of expression and association and should be immediately overturned, said Amnesty International. This district administrative court of Kiev upheld the request of the Ukrainian Minister of Justice to ban the Communist Party. It will no longer be able to officially operate or participate in local elections. So this was Act One. This was Step One of decommunization, which has escalated now in Ukraine. The ban of the Communist Party in Ukraine sets a very dangerous precedent. The move is propelling Ukraine backwards, not forwards, on its path of reform and greater respect for human rights, said John Dalhusen, Amnesty International's Director of Europe and Central Asia. So under four new laws adopted in May 20, oops, in May 2015, collectively known as decommunization laws, displaying communist or Nazi symbols can lead to Criminal persecution and up to 10 years imprisonment. This is interesting. Or Nazi symbols. I would really love to check that out because it seems like there's a lot of Nazi symbols on the Ukraine military uniforms that we see being spread all across the corporate media. It seems like there's a lot of Nazi symbols, the Black Sun, the Azov, the Azov uh, symbol, its logo. It seems like there's a lot of Nazi symbols, so I don't think that's true. But anyway, no, nonetheless, decommunization laws with communism literally in the word, right, literally fit in this word, seems to me that Nazis are not really part of this. But that, that seems to be part of this propaganda. That's liberalism for you. The use of the term communist is explicitly prohibited in legislation. However, the CP of Ukraine refused to make changes to its name, logo, or charter. And good for them. So the Ukrainian authorities previously sought to ban the Communist Party last year, shortly after the end of the year made in protests in early 2014. The party was accused of financing pro-Russian separatists, yada, 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 in Ukraine. So again, the same justification, right? That it's pro-Russian, that they're supporting the uh, so-called separatists, which are the Eastern Republics, which were under assault. So that's why they were calling for independence. 
But uh, that's the claim here. And so the moves by the Ukrainian authorities to ban the Communist Party solely on account of its name and use Soviet era symbol and use of Soviet era symbols violates the right of freedom of expression and association and sets a dangerous precedent in Ukrainian political life. In 2015, a spate of politically motivated killings remain unresolved and journalists and media known for criticizing the current government have been harassed. So here you have it, you know, authorities publish a list of people banned from entering the country, including dozens of journalists, mostly from Russia. So this is Ukraine and this has been Ukraine for a long time, right? And so it's important to understand that context, understand that Ukraine has had these laws on the books for a while. The Communist Party has long been banned. And now this has extended to all left-wing groups who are considered even remotely, quote-unquote, pro-Russian or honestly just critical of the current government. And so this is dangerous. Yeah, this is dangerous. So all those free speech folks, all those who seem to care about elections and political integrity and quote-unquote democracy. It's so so striking to see how most people, especially in the establishment, particularly in the establishment, have not mentioned this at all. And yet they continue to promote this idea that Zelensky is a hero even as he puts into place policies that they claim, let's say, Donald Trump was doing or let's say uh, Putin is doing right these are the things that they accuse those they don't like of doing yet when it comes to their allies and friends are perfectly okay with it right it's just like saudi arabia beheading 81 people in a day oh it doesn't really deserve much attention right the u.s doesn't give them even a slap on the wrist it just ignores it moves on from it and says okay we'll continue to do business and that's exactly what's happening here Ukraine is useful. Ukraine's a vassal state. Ukraine is a launching pad for this NATO drive to contain Russia. And so Ukraine can honestly do anything. It can do anything right now. It can beg for a no-fly zone even when the United States and NATO says, oh, hold on, we're not going to do that for you. But they can but he can do it. Zelensky can do it, and Ukraine's government can beg for it, and all these far-right forces. Uh, so-called protesting in the streets can beg for a no-fly zone despite its ramifications without any criticism from the United States or NATO countries because Ukraine is useful, just like Israel is useful. Israel can genocide Palestinians, colonize Palestinians, but Israel is useful. It's a beachhead in the Middle East. It's a highly militarized settler colonial state, which does have honestly a similar agenda to the U.S. and maintaining strategic imperialist dominance in the Arab and Muslim world out there, right? Out in that part of the world, Central Asia, Eurasia. So Israel is very important, right? And so Israel can do whatever it wants. And the United States will barely bat an eye. Actually, the United States will give about $3.8 billion per year to the IDF and to the Israeli Defense Forces to continue on its slaughter of Palestinians. Saudi Arabia the same way. Billions upon billions of dollars in military weaponry all going to the slaughter of the people of Yemen and the starvation of the people of Yemen and Saudi Arabia's dirty war on Yemen. One that is honestly not going to end because the people of Yemen fiercely resist, but there is no pressure outside of Yemen and outside, of course, the non-aligned countries 
there is no pressure to stop it from those who are provoking the war, which of course is the United States and its allies arming Saudi Arabia to the teeth, right? So there's all these flashpoints and they all point to very convenient allies for the United States. And now Ukraine is being exposed as one of these. And now it is not just merely a coup government. It is one that is engaging in fascist policies and strategies to forward its agenda. And that, I must say, is incredibly dangerous. And it's something we must oppose. And it's something we must speak out against, no matter how hard it is, right? Because it is difficult right now. The anti-Russia sentiment is at fever pitch in the United States and in the Western world. Most people view Russia as their enemy. And as I wrote on Substack, just that is not the case here, right? We need to continue to forward a clear understanding and analysis of the situation. And that means condemning Zelensky, condemning Ukraine's government, 